Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. That's where we'll be today. Uh, someone asked me, we showed a trailer at the beginning of the service about uh, the documentary uh, American Gospel that we'll be showing on the 2nd and the 9th. That's in the evening. That's not during our church service, So, just so you are aware of that. Uh, January 2nd, 1997, Gene Dixon, America's leading psychic, predicted that a famous uh, entertainer would leave the nation mourning within weeks. It's unclear if the nation mourned or not, but three weeks later, she died of a heart attack. I doubt she saw that coming. Bob Cartwright uh, was disappointed when he was unable to accept an invitation to fly to New York with his friend uh, Tyler Stranger and Corey Little to see a playoff game between the Yankees and the Tigers. He felt differently, though, when he saw the news that Stranger and Little's plane had crashed into a, an apartment building and his friends had died. He said, I was supposed to be on that plane. One month later, Cartwright died in another plane crash near his home in California. November 1st, 2008, Donald Peters bought two Connecticut lottery tickets like he had every week for 20 years. It turned out that one of those tickets was a winning ticket worth $10 million. But Peter was not that lucky. He died the same day he bought that ticket. Now, we're surprised by stories like these, but I don't think the preacher in Ecclesiastes would be surprised by these stories. He tells us that time and chance will get all of us. He tells us that man doesn't know our time and that our days are numbered. Our truth statement is this. In view of the certainty of death and the unpredictability of life, enjoy to the full what God gives you. So in view of the certainty of death and the unpredictability of life, enjoy to the full what God gives you. It is through God that we can enjoy the gifts that he gives us. We'll jump right into verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know both are before him. Through Ecclesiastes, the preacher has wrestled with this life under the sun. In verse 1, he sees that God is sovereign. There's mystery around how God works, but he recognizes that God is sovereign, that God is infinite. We are finite. We are limited. He believes that the righteous are in the hands of God. And the, the picture of being in the hands of God in Scripture is often a very, very good thing. It points us to his love, his power, his protection, his sovereignty. So for the believer, there really should be no other place that we would want to be than in the hands of God. For those who trust in God, we take great comfort in being in the hands of God, in his loving, caring, protective hands. We know he loves us, after all, because Jesus' hands were pierced for us. Now, we see this book of Ecclesiastes in view of the cross, but the preacher doesn't have that advantage. He doesn't have that perspective. We see, uh, or when he sees verse 1, he also sees uncertainty. And we see that in the second half of verse 1. He says, whether it's love or hate, man doesn't know. And it's hard to tell who he's talking about here, who, who the love and hate, uh, who has that love and hate. Some people think it's, it's men. Uh, like in verse 6, it, it'll connect that to, to humanity. But it seems to make more sense in the context that this is 
God's love and hate or God's acceptance and rejection. If we think of Romans 9, 13, where God says, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. Right? Or Jacob, I accepted, Esau was rejected. Now maybe you maybe connect with that uncertainty. Maybe you question, you're at church, you're thinking about God and your relationship with God, and maybe you wonder, where do I stand with God? If you were to face God today, would he accept you or reject you? On what grounds would he accept you or reject you? Like I said, often in Scripture, being in God's hands is a comforting thing. In the Psalms, it describes as the sheep of his hand. Psalm 31.5 says, Into your hand I commit my spirit, O Lord, you've, oh, oh, you have redeemed me, O Lord, the faithful God. You might remember back in John, Jesus said, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So for those who trust in Jesus, if you trust in his blood, being in the hands of God brings great comfort and great peace. If you don't trust in Jesus for salvation, you're also in the hands of God. But the picture isn't comforting. I read this verse last week from Hebrews 10.31. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So is God's hand for you because you trust in Jesus? Or is God's hand against you because you've rejected Christ? And it's easy in life to think that we should just be able to look at someone's life and see if God is for them or against them. Like, if life is going well, then God is for them. Or if life isn't going well, then God must be against him. We can easily fall into this thought that, well, if you're one of God's people, then you should be healthy, then you should be wealthy, your life should, should, should be prosperous. And yet the preacher says, that's not the case. Let's look at life under the sun. Verse 2, he says, it's the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead." So before, in the chapter previous, he pointed out that the righteous seem to sometimes get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked get what the righteous deserve. That's not his point here. His point is that, that we all get the same treatment under the sun, that, that life, that the same event happens. And he says same event, singular. So at a minimum, he's talking we're all going to face death. Right? It's possible, he's also talking about just the hardships that we face in life, that everyone faces difficulty. I don't know if you remember that article a few summers back about the giant earthquake that's supposed to come at any time to the Pacific Northwest. We all kind of got excited and bought lots of water and, and other things to get ready for that earthquake. Uh, hasn't happened yet, but if the Cascadia Fault happens like, like, uh, like scientists say it should, there are going to be homes of good, honest people that will be decimated right next to homes of wicked people that will be destroyed as well. The sun is finally coming back. I'm so ready for more sunshine. It's going to shine this week on good people, on people that fear the Lord, and on people that want nothing to do with Jesus. We are all in the same boat, and the preacher hates this. 
He's upset. It seems unfair to him. It doesn't seem right. He calls this an evil thing that happens under the sun. He also reminds us of the evil that lives in every human heart. And then at the end of verse 3, he says, and then we die. We'll go be with the dead. Death is the final event that will come to each and every person. We will all die. There's no doubt about it, and there's no way around it. I almost titled the sermon Memento Mori for the Latin phrase, remember you must die. But I thought that might not go so well. <laughs> well, and none of us know Latin. Um, but every person you know, every person you, you care for, every person you love deeply will die. But there's hope. Verse 4, he tells us, you're not dead yet. He says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. A phrase I'm sure we're all familiar with. As long as you're alive, there's hope. One day you'll die, you'll be buried, but you aren't there yet. You don't know how many days you have to live, but currently you are still alive. So I ask you, are you living? Are you living the life that God has given you? He says, a live dog is better than a dead lion. And this seems so weird to us because today, I mean, some people are crazy about their dogs, right? Some people, I don't want to step on toes, but some of you are nuts about your animals, okay? <laughs> the stroller thing with the dogs, have you seen that? And I understand sometimes they, some of those dogs need help. I should be kind. But we love our dogs, it's crazy how much we love our animals. Dogs, in the preacher's day, it wasn't the same way, right? These were mangy animals. I've been on a couple mission trips in Mexico, and you see this, the dogs in the street. They're just scavengers, and you do not want to get near them. You're afraid, like, the diseases will just jump onto you from these dogs. Well, the preacher, he says, man, a mangy dog that's alive is better than a dead lion, right? I, I don't know exactly how they view lions today, but even for us today, like you go to the zoo, you want to see the lions. The lions are cool. There's something just powerful, majestic about the lion as they like strut around their, their area. Lions are, are beautiful creatures, but he says, man, give me a mangy live dog any day over the formerly impressive and now dead lion. It's better to be alive than dead. Verse 5, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have, they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Once you're dead, it's over for you under the sun. Even the emotions we feel, love, hate, envy, when you're dead, those are gone. Those are gone under the sun. You will no longer share in the experiences under the sun. Life under the sun is over. The influence that you had once you die, that will fade, just like the memory of you will fade. We're all just two generations away from no one on this planet remembering us. Live the life that you still have. Your heart's still beating. You can still feel emotions. You can experience what God has for us under the sun. It's interesting. He says that the living have an advantage, and the advantage is that they know that they will die. 
The dead don't know they're dead, but the living, he says, know they will die. Well, how's that an advantage? Knowing death will come is our opportunity to prepare for eternity. In chapter 12, the preacher says, and the dust, our body, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who, get, who gave it. Verse 14 in chapter 12, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Are you prepared for eternity? We invest so much in the next decades to come in our life. If, if you're a student, you're thinking about college, maybe grad school, you're thinking about your career. If you're, if you're a parent, right, your kids are little, you're thinking about what's coming up next for them in life, what schools they're going to go to. You dream maybe about who they're gonna marry, what they're going to do. If you're in the workforce, you're dreaming about retirement, and, and depending on how long you've been in the workforce, those, those dreams are coming, uh, coming to fruition. We spend a lot of time getting ready for what's coming in the next few decades. How prepared are you for eternity? How prepared are you for forever? Are you ready to stand before God? For the person who's placed their faith in Jesus, death is filled with hope. Death is passage into glory. But for the, person, uh, for the person who's believed that the blood of Jesus saves them, there will be fear in standing before the Almighty, but there will not be dread. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in, you, uh, kept in heaven for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So if you're wise, you will prepare for eternity by asking Christ to forgive you of your sins, to be your Savior, to be Lord of your life. Verse 7, chapter 9. He says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. And so much of Ecclesiastes it seems negative, maybe seems like a downer, it's depressing. It's hard to know if he's sincere when he writes these positive uh, parts in Ecclesiastes. Like, how, how is it that we can enjoy life, preacher, when you say everything is vanity? How can we do things that, that you say the fools do? This is what Martin Luther said um, about the preacher of Ecclesiastes. He says, The preacher is not urging a life of pleasure and luxury, characteristic of those who do not sense this vanity, for that would be putting oil on the fire. But he is speaking of godly men and women who sense the vexation and the troubles of the world. It is their downcast hearts that he wants to encourage. So there's a call that true joy can be had that is God-centered around God's gifts, the gifts of the creator, the one who's provided every good and perfect gift. It says, God has already approved what you do. Right? He's saying, he's already proved that you can enjoy this thing of eating bread and drinking some wine. He's given you the ability to enjoy gifts in life with godly pleasure, not guilty pleasure. So, he says, go. Don't waste time. Don't waste your life, live the life you have now. And we can be content with these things that, that he has given us. Right? We can be content with whatever the meal is that you have. Maybe you've got a steak right now marinating 
in your fridge that you're ready to throw on the grill after church today. Or, or, or my family, we all just, we love hamburgers. Like we love making burgers together. Whatever it is you have, are you content with what you have? I saw, I think it was a, a mailer from Costco this week, some crazy expensive meat. I don't even understand. There's this one Japanese, I think it was something, something, something. I can't pronounce any of the words. Filet mignon, right? I knew that part. It was like three pounds of meat for $529. Man, I'd be afraid to cook that. I'm going to be satisfied with what I have in my fridge. We don't even know what we're having today for lunch, but I'll be satisfied with what we have, and we can enjoy what we have. Do you pause in life? Do you pause in life to enjoy what God has given you? Uh, the preacher here, he's talking about a meal, but it could be anything. Right? I, for years, I, co- I commuted to Portland, and, and I'd, I'd drive back home on 14, and, and there'd be days when, well, sometimes there's days the clouds covered Mount Hood, but there are plenty of days where Mount Hood's right there, and I didn't even notice it because I'm so consumed with whatever. I'm just trying to get home as quick as I can. Do you pause and enjoy what God has given us in life. It could be a hike. It could be playing board games with your family or friends. It, it, it could be skiing. It could be going to a play, enjoying a good movie. It, it could be art. Whatever it is, let's not blow. Let's not blow the opportunities that God has given us to enjoy his gifts in this short, short life. He says, eat bread, be filled with joy. He says, drink some wine with a merry heart. For some of you, that might make you nervous to drink some wine, right? He, he doesn't say, go get drunk. I remember a time, at least like in this Pacific Northwest area in church, where Christians did not drink, supposedly, right? Like I'm sure there was some uh, closet drinking going on that wasn't bad. They just, their church didn't, didn't accept it. Now it seems like churches are totally the other way, that man, everyone can drink whenever you want. And, and there are a ton of people that drink alcohol in a God-honoring way. But I'm also shocked at how many Christians are abusing alcohol. Like just, just getting wasted. And how many Christians are really growing dependent on alcohol He's not saying that here. The, the preacher isn't saying go crazy and live like a fool. Right? We, we have freedom in Christ, but Scripture is also clear we're not to get drunk. So w- with that in mind, though, he, he says enjoy a good meal. Right? Have, a, have a glass of wine or an IPA. We can and should enjoy life. Even though life is hard, even though there are times that seem unbearable, we still can enjoy gifts that God has given us. Some have said that this life is like a dress rehearsal for, for the next. Verse 8, he says, Let your garments be always white. Let, uh, let not oil be lacking on your head. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get to the end of the workday and I'm just wiped out, right? And I get home and I'm like, man, I just want to throw on some sweatpants. <laughs> sweatpants and a t-shirt. Actually, I wear a t-shirt most days to work anyway, but maybe a new t-shirt. Um, some of you, it might be pajamas or shorts, but you, you get home and it's just like, I just need to, I need to relax and vegetate. But the preacher says, yeah, you can enjoy those sweats sometimes, but not every night is a sweatpants night. He says, no sweats tonight. Put on your best clothes, right? You're going to get dressed up, right? The equivalence might be like you're renting a tuxedo or, or, or maybe you're, you're, you're spending too much money on, on a dress that you wouldn't normally spend that much money on. Um, he says, 
put the oil on. That's weird to us, but I think we can appreciate the, the smell good part of the fragrant oil, right? So he says, don't just look good, but you, you're going to smell good. It's time to celebrate. We're going to put on the best clothes and, and have a good time. We're going to enjoy the meal with friends. And, and when we enjoy a meal with friends, with family, it's a foreshadow of what we have to look forward to after life under the sun, if you know Jesus. All this, all this that we have in life, all these gifts that he's given, man, we, we get to enjoy them. I could go on and on about all the different things that we can enjoy, but they're just a sample of what God has for us to come, a sample, if you know Jesus, of what he has for you in eternity. And there are times in life when we celebrate. Like, I've been to a few weddings in particular that, that I, I, I kind of just sat back and, and, and appreciated the celebration that was happening, like how great it was. Man, the best celebration on earth is, is just a glimpse of the celebration that Christians will have with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we'll celebrate like we've never celebrated before. So often in life, though, we settle, and we do a whole lot of nothing. We, we sit and we stare at our phones, and we scroll through whatever. I scroll through news articles like crazy. I read the dumbest news articles. Uh, clickbait was invented for me, apparently. Uh, Maybe you play mindless games on your phone, right? I don't know how many people remember Flappy Bird. Less than I thought. It was a dumb game, I'll tell you that. It was a dumb game that was incredibly addictive. One of the stupid articles I read was about the guy who invented Flappy Bird. Um, the creator took that game off of the app, um, of the app store uh, because he felt incredible guilt at how addicted to this game people were. He spoke of a mom who somehow contacted him and was blaming him for her son throwing his life away. I can't remember if he was like failing school or if, or if he was losing his job, but the, the guy was just playing Flappy Bird all the time. Hopefully he was really good at it. Um, but he's playing Flappy Bird all the time and throwing his life away. Now there's other issues going on there, obviously, but so often we do these mindless numbing things. And we can enjoy a game like Flappy Bird or Words with Friends or whatever you're into. We can enjoy a good TV show or a movie, but we can also numb ourselves with those things. The preacher's crying out. He says, you don't know how long you have to live. Life is a gift. You need to live it. Put on your good clothes. Put on some cologne, perfume. Don't settle. Don't mail it in. Turn off Netflix. We're going to celebrate tonight. Verse 9, he says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. And by vain life there, he just means short. He's not saying meaningless like other times it means in the book. He's saying in your short life um, that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So now he moves into relationships and specifically marriage. And we'll talk about some, some marriage-specific points in a moment. Um, but God has, has gifted us with friendship, with relationship, with companionship. Do you enjoy the relationships that God has given you? Is there depth in those relationships? Are there people that really, truly know you? A, a scheme of the devil is to isolate us. 
Right? He wants us to feel like we are all alone in all of our stuff. And I've talked to so many people. I've talked to so many students over the years, students that um, on the outside, it looked like they had a ton of friends. They were always with people. And yet they told me how alone they felt even when they were with people. And I found that, that adults, it's not just a problem that young people are dealing with. If you feel lonely, I'd start by asking God for a friend. I'd start by asking God for a good friend for you to connect with. And I'd also examine if you are a good friend. Like if you're a person that, that someone wants to be friends with, then, I, then I'd encourage you to put yourself out there and be patient because it takes time to develop relationships. I'm so grateful for the Young Adults Group. I know we've talked about it a couple times. We had Kristen up here a few weeks ago. Uh, the Young Adults Group, they meet, I think it's every Thursday night. They gather. Jennifer Rose makes this incredible meal that they feast on. Um, and, it, and it's something like 12 to 15 young adults every week. And I'm glad that, that they have a place where some Christ-rooted friendships can be developed because we need those. God's given us relationships to refine us, to encourage us, and ultimately to glorify God by pointing us to Christ. So let's talk marriage for a little bit. Marriage is a gift. If you're married, do you believe that? Do you, uh, do you treat your spouse like marriage is a gift from God? Does your heart reflect that? Now, marriage is hard work. The, the preacher does uh, point that out. You'll notice he connects toil with marriage in the verse there. He doesn't say getting dressed up is toil. He doesn't say eating bread is toil. But marriage, he says, there's toil in it. And it's funny when people are surprised that marriage is hard work. Of course it's going to be hard work. We've got two sinners, and we're going to put them together. right? That has to be hard work. You've heard maybe about one person or both, both people bringing uh, baggage into the marriage. The reality is everyone brings baggage, and it's not just like a cute little carry-on, right? We, we bring lots of baggage into every relationship we're in. We've all got stuff, and then we move it into the same place and say that we're together until death do us part. Uh, the Bible talks about Christian relationships as iron sharpening iron. And while I don't work with iron, I'm pretty sure it's a violent process, right? It's not like exfoliating, okay? Iron sharpening iron involves hot iron crashing and clashing with other iron. Sparks fly. So there are times when marriage is smooth sailing and it's, it's peaceful it's so enjoyable, but so often when marriage is that way, I think it's because hard work has been done pretty early on, and continued maintenance work is happening. But even when marriage is smooth sailing, there will be times where marriage is tough. If you thought marriage would be easy, and you're upset that it's harder than you thought, I'm sorry, but that's how it goes. Sometimes Sometimes marriage is rose petals and candles, but other times it's tears and frustration. I think very few people walk into marriage knowing how hard it will be. My guess is too many people are looking for the person that will complete them. We hope that our spouse can give us what really only Jesus can give us. So even, even with that, marriage is still a gift. The preacher says, enjoy your spouse. And he's talking specifically to men here. He says, enjoy your wife. But the application is to everyone. Enjoy the spouse that you've been given. 
Men, Paul tells us in Ephesians to love your wife like Christ has loved the church. There's a deep, sacrificial love that he calls us to. So if you are married, do you take time to enjoy your spouse? Do you, do you put down your phone? Do you shut down your tablet or your computer and listen to them? When's the last time you went on a date? And if you have kids, did your conversation only center around your kids? I know for Lindsay and I, when we go on a date, sometimes we try really hard not to talk about the kids, and it takes us like a good 15 minutes of like, I don't know, that getting out of your system before we can just be two adults talking with each other. Other times we have to talk about our kids, and there's no choice. But, um, but do, you, do you get away, though, and, and spend time that isn't just focused on your kids? Do you ever get away, just the two of you, like even just for a night? That's so important. You may be committed to your spouse, but do you love your spouse? If not, that needs to change. You, you need to seek God in that today, asking him to grow your love for your spouse that God has entrusted you with. Marriage is short. It's short-lived. It's just in this life. You will not be married to your spouse for eternity. Christ makes that very clear. Marriage points us, though, to the unending love that Christ has for his bride. I, I love doing weddings. I love officiating weddings. I love getting to see the groom and the bride together because it's a picture of what Jesus, how he feels towards his bride, towards his people. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol in which you're going. And he's not saying that, 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 that there's nothing after this life. He, he's talking about our work here that we have. He says, whatever you do, go all in. Whatever your work is, if you're homeschooling your kids, do it to the best of your ability. If you work in IT or if you're a nurse or you build websites or you teach or you fold, you fold shirts at a department store or, or you're the super volunteer at your kid's school, do it with all that you have. Whatever it is your hand finds, is a gift from God, and you, you should not waste it. So what keeps you from giving your all? Are you lazy? If so, look up sloth in the Proverbs. Is it fear? I know there's a lot of things in life I haven't done because I've been afraid. How will waiting ever make it any better? When your kids are little, uh, you obviously have to do everything for them. When they're a baby, you, you have to do everything. But as they, as they grow and develop, um, they're able to start to try to do things. Uh, now, it may be easier for you as a parent to just do the thing for them. It, it, it might be a lot easier. It, it'll take less time. You won't have to clean up the mess that they make. I know for me, when, when, um, when our oldest two kids, when they were learning to eat, when it was time to hand them a spoon, that just killed me. Like, I, they had a bib, and it was like they hid everywhere but the bib. Like, how'd you get food on the back of your head? It drove me crazy. What I wanted to do was just keep feeding them, but that wouldn't do them any good. They needed the reps. Eventually, you, you realize, whether it's food or whatever with your kids, that, that they need that practice. They need those reps because these things are going to help them grow and develop for the rest of their life. You need the reps too, right? If God has given you something that you should be doing, you need to go for it, even if you feel like you just stink at it. You need, to, you need to trust God with that and work with all your might, the preacher tells us. Like every gift, uh, like every gift you can make this more than it's intended to be. 
right? We can make an idol out of anything. We're so good at worshiping what God has given us and making that our God rather than worshiping God and thanking him for the good gifts that he gives. Verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those, uh, to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. And we like formulas, right? I like it when I know if I take A and B, I'll get C. But we know, like he says, the fastest doesn't always win the race. Maybe nine times out of ten, but one time they won't. The best fighter won't always win the fight. Sometimes an inferior fighter lands a lucky punch that knocks out the opponent. We know there are a ton of really smart people that are rich. We can also think of some people that were like, how in the world did you get any money at all? We like upsets in sporting events, but we don't like them in our own lives. And yet we find that we can't predict what will happen. From our vantage point under the sun, it looks like the preacher's right, like, like there's just time and chance. And the preacher doesn't mean that God, God's not sovereign, but he does mean that we don't get to know the number of our days. We don't get to know the, the twists and turns in our lives. Everyone is truly in the hands of God. Verse 12, he says, For man does not know this time, like the fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Every one of us will die, and we don't know when. The preacher invites us into this staring contest with death, and we will blink first. Death is coming. Are you ready? If you're like me, you're convinced that you will live a long life. I assume that I will bury both of my parents someday. I assume that not only will I see my kids graduate, but I'll see them get married and see their kids graduate. If you're working, you're assuming that retirement's coming. Not all of us will see all of those things. Some in this room will live well into their 90s. Maybe someone will break 100 in this room. Some will die in their 70s, others 60s. Some might not make it to their 30s. We don't know how many days we have left. I just took a breath, and that's one, one less breath that I'm guaranteed. I think I have millions of breaths left, but it might only be a few dozen. There's a danger, like I alluded to earlier, with God's gifts. We're really skilled at taking these gifts and making them into our own little God. We think if some is good, then more is better. He tells us to eat bread with joy, but we're so quick to become gluttons and to run to food to make us feel better. He says drink some wine. We're quick to drink wine in excess, becoming dependent on alcohol instead of God. He tells us to get dressed, ready to celebrate. We care so much about looking good for other people. He tells us to enjoy our spouse, but we make relationships our everything. We get crushed when someone lets us down. We take God's good, God's good gifts and think that they'll satisfy us in ways that they were never meant to satisfy us. Instead of enjoying the gifts and seeing God as the good provider and worshiping him, we end up worshiping what God created rather than our creator. That's why we needed Jesus to die for us. He lived the perfect life, no blemish on his record, never sinned, and he died in your place, sacrificed for you, not because you're good, but really because you're not good. And it's easy to think that we're good, but like, like the preacher keeps writing, we've got evil in our hearts. We all have had thoughts in our hearts and minds that we cannot believe we could think something that dark. 
And Jesus relinquished his blood for you, the sinner, so your sin could be paid for, so your darkness could be atoned for. He died on that torturous cross to glorify the Father and love us in a way that we never deserved, a love that, that we could take no credit for. And then he rose from the dead, meaning that God accepted his sacrifice on behalf of sinners. And what he offers you is to exchange your sin for his righteousness. The offer is for anyone that will trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior, placing their faith in him, that by believing in him you'll be saved. And it's in Jesus, it's through Jesus, because of Jesus, that we can see the certainty of death, we can look at the unpredictability of life, and enjoy life to the full in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for life, Lord. I know that uh, today is the, the day that we remember uh, those who have died so that we can experience the freedoms we have in our country, Lord, and I thank you. Lord, I was just thinking before church how great it is that we get to have this church service and people can know about it. We, we worship you not in fear. We don't, have to, we don't have to quiet everything down. We can be as loud as we want because we have freedom here that, that you have given us, Lord, and, and you've done that through a lot of people that have sacrificed their lives for us, Lord. So we do thank you for that. God, I thank you that each of us are alive, that each of us can know you. We can place our, our, our trust in you, Jesus, to forgive us of our sins, Lord. God, for anyone in the room that hasn't done that, I pray that they would really wrestle with why they haven't trusted you yet. Lord, for us who have done that, God, would we love this life that you've given, recognizing that it is a glimpse of what we have to come in you in eternity. God, I cannot wait to see that celebration. I cannot wait at all, because God, sometimes down here, I can't loosen up enough to celebrate, and yet I know that when we're with you, it'll be a celebration like it's never been had before. Jesus, we love you. Would you help us to honor you? Would you help us to follow you, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen.